What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 245 of Living Off the Land. I'm Dan here with my co-host, Stephen. Stephen, how we doing? It's Wednesday night, and you know what that means. It's more Living Off the Land. We got a great show for you tonight, and starting, of course, with the Beer of the Week. Take it away, Dan. Ah, yes. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Okay. Interesting. This is a beer that we've never done before on the podcast. This is a brand new beer, uh, or at least after what I was told from the guy at the uh, at the liquor store. But uh, it is a Vienna Lager from Nor from Noble Beast. Sorry about that. Just about totally butchered the name. Noble Beast, one of our favorite breweries here in Cleveland. Uh, haven't done them on the show a lot. Especially not recently, but wanted to get something different. Uh, this caught my eye, and uh, the gentleman at the liquor store at Max Beverage on Ridge Road in Parma uh, told me that they had just got this in for the first time. So it is an amber lager beer, a Vienna lager from Noble Beast. Um, so, yeah, it's a toasty malt highlights this drinkable amber lager. It is double decocted. I think that's what that pause and lagered horizontally for two months for clarity of flow. This comes in 16 ounce uh, tall boys is 5% ABV 26 IBUs. And I, <clears throat> I will tell you what it certainly is a full bodied lager that has a little bit of an amber kick to it. So it's literally exactly how it's described and exactly how it's brewed. Um, and yeah, I love the can. The can art is great. Um, it's a very European style, uh, beer. Now I will say this was not in a cooler at the liquor store. So it's not as cold as maybe I would like it to be because I just got it a couple hours ago and put it in the fridge. Um, but it's still pretty good beer. I'm liking this. Uh, let's see. What would I rate this? I'm going to go 7.1 hmm. on the Vienna Lager from Noble Beast Brewing. Uh, Noble Beast is on Lakeside, downtown Cleveland. Uh, if you know where Channel 3 Studios are, it's right across the street. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> Noble Beast is a great place to go in the summertime. Um, it's a fun place to watch a game. Uh, they have really good food at Noble Beast. Very good food. Uh, and great beer, obviously. But uh, the food is uh, very, uh, I don't know, underrated. Because I feel like everybody that goes there loves it. Um, maybe it's not as well known because it's it's essentially on the lake pretty much it's kind of it's not it's in downtown but it's kind of like not on the outskirts of downtown but it's, it is on the fringe a little bit yeah 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 it's not in your normal you know east fourth east ninth uh prospect kind of you know square um you just go a few blocks east of there you're in asia town so yeah yeah so but very good food personal favorite of mine is the uh uh the the, cor the Cleveland corn dog that they have there, which is a uh, kielbasa corn dog. Um, so, oh, sorry, <laughs> oof, shared that. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna go seven point one on the beer. Uh, get over to Noble Beast if you haven't been there already. Uh, if you're looking for uh, something to eat and uh, need a really good beer, so that is the beer of the week. Noble Beast Vienna Lager. Alrighty, so we are in the midst of winter, of course, and you know, last week we had our fun in Lakewood with Jordan being here. Uh, this week we're going to some place that's a little more low key, 
It's in the snow belt, so grab your coat and your winter boots because you're going to need them. Uh, we're heading, this is only the second time we've actually done a neighborhood in Geauga County, but uh, that's where we're headed tonight. We're headed to the the small town of Chesterland. Ooh, Chesterland, all right. Chesterland is located just to the east of Gates Mills and Mayfield out in the, um, just to the east of the 271 corridor. It's just across the county line from Cuyahoga County. This is a community that really for much of its time has been mostly rural, but is now quickly becoming suburban. And the average home price here, just under $350,000. So should I use the word again? I mean, it's, it's, if it's not bougie, it is very, very close to that. If you look at the geography, the, uh, the western boundary is along Caves Road, the southern boundary along Cedar Road, the eastern boundary along Sperry Road, and the northern boundary is uh, Sherman Road. So it's almost a complete rectangle, very, very simple to point out. And again, it's mostly residential, although you do have one main commercial corridor along Route 322, which does run east-west right through the middle of town. And there are two places, actually three, that I could point out almost immediately. Uh, the first one is Silver Skillet Cafe. This place is just to the immediate north of the central intersection of town. This is a breakfast restaurant predominantly, and it is 4.8 star rated on Google. This place has, suppose, according to the reviews, has great eggs benedict, has great omelets, has great, ve apparently the veggie omelet is, is a big thing there. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. A bunch of people want to, apparently want veggies in the morning there, but uh, that's that's a really hot seller there. And this place um, is one, sorry, I'm getting distracted because some somebody's apparently trying to call me right now, and, and they should know that we're recording right now, and I'm not picking up the phone. So. No, na no names, please. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Silver Skillet Cafe is, I just had the, address and i just lost it again because somebody called me which is dumb whoever but, you uh, are yeah. how dare you yeah which is located right along route 306 just it's in the same plaza with the giant eagle in chesterland and then if you go just a little bit to the west of there you go past a few other local businesses well actually past some chain businesses but then as you get toward the almost the edge of town by caves road you come to another local spot which is oak and embers tavern mm, yes oak and embers tavern is a you know, the name, I thought it would be a bar, but it's actually predominantly a barbecue restaurant. Yeah, barbecue. Yep. And it, I'm, I wonder if it's, like, owned by a Southerner because they have really good catfish and grits there, apparently. Which you don't you don't usually get that around here. So that's that's actually quite interesting. 4.3 star rated on Google. Uh, also has really good crab cakes, supposedly. So maybe you're thinking, I'm thinking geographically, maybe Maryland, Virginia, you know, East, East Coast, Mid-Atlantic perhaps. Um, so you got a lot of different fare from a lot of different uh, parts of the country. Uh, apparently, they make fried plantains as well. So uh, that's about as diverse a menu as you're going to see. You know, traditional barbecue combined with all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So definitely a place to hit up if you're ever in the Chesterland area. Um, and then another that I do want to point out is that's actually on the west side of town along Mayfield Road, Route 322. And then right in the center of town, just south of the main intersection of 306 and 322, is Guido's Pizza Haven. Ooh, hello. Yes. Guido's. Guido's. All right. So this is a pizza shop, obviously. 4.6 star rated on Google. And reading the reviews on this place, they really their thing is they really like to load up cheese and meat toppings. Hmm. They have, like, really large-sized pepperoni and sausage. From what I can tell by by the pictures, but you, know, you can get pretty much any kind of pizza here. They do sandwiches, they do pasta, they do a whole bunch of other entrees as well. But pizza is their main thing. So uh, Guido's Pizza uh, is is at twelve twelve eight oh nine Chillicothe Road. That is uh, Route three oh six in Chesterland, just uh, pretty much right downtown. Uh, so if you are looking for for some hearty, wholesome comfort food, that is definitely a place to go uh, right there in the center of Chesterland. So, you know, I kind of picked this neighborhood because this this week it snowed once already. We've already gotten freezing rain today, and apparently more snow is coming today and tomorrow. So I was kind of in that mood. You know, we are in that late January time phrase where 
finally it seems like winter is starting to bear its teeth a little bit yeah. um this is two years in a row now we've kind of been waiting on it for much you know aside from christmas weekend it really hasn't come in the first half of winter but who knows what we got coming for us and uh, again if you come out into this area well, i'm sure it won't forget about us you know when you get out toward geauga county and certainly lake and ashtabula county would be in this boat too you always got to be checking your phone. You got to be checking to see what the weather's going to do on an almost, sometimes almost an hourly basis because you just never know what the lake could stir up at any time. But yeah. be that as it may, that is Chesterland. That is a quaint little and quite bougie community with some nice local <laughs> businesses as well. Bougie. So that's Chesterland, and we can it wham might be, it might, with the right hand. I was going to say, it might be quaint, but we're going to wham it. Mm, yes. Yes. <laughs> Pause. All right. Well, let's talk about the Cavaliers. Do we and have to talk the about week the week that was with the Cavaliers? Because <sighs> we're contractually obligated to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've not hit the panic button yet on the Cavaliers. We're darn close to it, though. Um, but I would say, at least for me, I am starting to get very, very concerned about this basketball team because of continuing trends that we are now seeing almost like it's like every time they lose, it's like you you just you know why the oppo- the opposing the opposing team just shot the lights out. We can't make an open shot. and there are some really bothersome things going on with our end our late game or end of game uh offensive execution that is really worrisome and especially once you get to playoff time you have to be able to execute in the half court especially in crunch time the Cavs just don't do it um so we'll we'll go through all the games uh from the past week obviously I think we're going to focus most of our attention on the game last night um, but, uh, yeah, Steve, you kind of want to go through the, uh, the results of the last week. Yeah. So the odd thing about this, though, it was not a good week. This could have been the worst week the Cavs have had all year. They played four games. They lost three of them. And the one they won was probably on paper, the one you wouldn't have expected them to win, except Giannis Santacumpo did not play for Milwaukee on Saturday night, which, you know, quite frankly, made it much easier for the Cavaliers to win that game. But I have to clarify that because the night before that, the Warriors were not playing Steph Curry, were not playing Klay Thompson, and yet... Or Draymond. Or Draymond Green, even though Draymond Green sucks these days. Um, And yet they still couldn't beat the Warriors because Jordan Poole and his cronies hit about three billion threes. The greatest shooting backcourt in NBA history did not play, and they hit 23 threes against us. Is that just bad luck? Or, no. Or, do you, or can you chalk No, because to- this is happening all the time now. It's had, it, I think it was uh, uh, in the last, like, seven games or so, uh, teams are shooting a combined 43% from beyond the arc against the Cavs. Not the good. Cavs are 27th in the NBA in defending the three-pointer. Yeah, when you do it over a whole bunch of games, including, you know, and this is what now, almost 50 games. And they let Julius Randle hit eight last night by himself. Eight. Eight. Not Steph Curry. Not Klay Thompson. Not Luka. And don't get me wrong, Julius Randle's a good player. Eight threes? Eight. Get the hell out of here with that. What is that? Before we go too far down the rabbit hole of last night's game, I want to back up to the first game this past week, which was last Wednesday against Memphis. This was a game that on paper the Cavaliers really should not have been in. No Donovan Mitchell. You're playing on the road at one of the best teams in the NBA, and the Cavaliers actually played very well in this game. Mm -hmm. In fact, they were in it to win the game on the final possession. Mm -hmm. Didn't Two things, two things went wrong in the last minute of this game. First of all, they couldn't get a ball inbounded and took a five-second violation, which is terrible. And then secondly... Keep in mind, they had a timeout when that five-second violation happened. So, you know, their coach, who, I don't know, was he just not paying attention? 
Uh, maybe when it got to like four, four and a half, could have said, oh, let's get a timeout before we get a five-second violation. No, he kept the damn timeout in his pocket and let us get a five-second violation. Yeah. Yeah, the coach is culpable for that. I mean, you'd think the, the player. The coach has been culpable you'd, you'd think for the a player lot might be able to, to make that judgment call too, but that's definitely on the coach more so than the player. You know, to to know that you're going to get a violation and you're going to lose the ball in a, in a crucial late game situation. And then again, on top of all that, the Cavaliers have a chance to win the game at the end, and they don't even get a shot off. No, well, he got the shot off, just didn't get to the rim because it got blocked. Tomato, oh, tomato on that one. Bad, like it's just bad, 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 bad. Not good. So, like, I mean, I would not be as critical about that particular game if they had taken care of business in the later games. But this game last night against the Knicks was very significant because the Knicks are in seventh place. Last time that qualifying spot for the playoffs is sixth. Yeah. You would have been the Knicks last night. You'd be five games up on them. Instead, now you're only three games up. Yep. You're just kind of slowly creeping down the standings. I'm getting this sort of bad vibe like we had a year ago where this was where the, the season started to turn in a negative direction for the Cavs. Now, last year was mostly injury-based. Now, you could say that some of it is injury-based right now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it's just not good feeling right now, quite frankly. No, it's and, not good. You know, the Cavs have two games coming up that – if you look at who they're playing against, the Rockets and the Thunder, you would say those are games the Cavs should win. Mm-hmm. But the Cavs are, A, in bad form, and, B, have been pretty bad on the road pretty much all season. Oh, not pretty so, bad. They've been, they've been atrocious. So they're 9-15 and 15 on the I, road. I don't really trust the Cavs to just go up and beat anybody away from Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. No. So these are two really important games for the Cavs. They win these two games against Houston, Oklahoma City. They're going to be, you know, you could say, okay, the ship is getting righted. Then you got some home games coming up. They have a three-game home stand after that, so let's let's go. But they're dropping these games too. Oh boy. Yeah. Um. Look, it, it seems like anytime you criticize anybody, especially a coach, it's like assumed that you want them fired. I had to deal with this all season with Kevin Stefanski. Like, <laughs> like I wasn't allowed to say anything bad about him uh, without somebody saying, oh, it's stupid, you just want him fired. No, that's not it. I'm not calling for – I wasn't calling for Kevin Stefanski's job. Just like how right now I'm not calling for J.B. Bickerstaff's job. I think that would be a little bit uh, crazy. But I will say there are some very concerning trends with, with J.B. Bickerstaff. And I think you're just starting to see it now, and it's only going to get magnified in the playoffs. The Cavs don't run an offense at all. It's Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell uh, go one-on-one drive, and if you get stopped at the rim, you kick it out. Or you take a step back three. That's the Cavs' offense. They don't run sets. Coming out of timeouts, they don't do any. They don't. They don't run any sort of sets or anything like that. They don't run any offense to speak of. JB's rotations are horrible. Lamar Stevens and Isaac Okoro should never be on the floor at the same time. Well, you've been saying Ever. that for a year. Ever. You're playing three on five on offense at that point. Three on five, and then. I understand that you're getting, you're trying to get Ricky Rubio more acclimated, get him in slowly, whatever, just have him play a little bit, a little bit. But he, last night, he brought Ricky Rubio in after he put Darius and Donovan on the bench. Ricky should be on the floor with one of those guys. And also, one of Darius or Donovan should be on the floor at the same, at, at, at all times. All times. There period. should never be a situation where both of those guys are on the bench. Never. Assuming one is not injured or well, something okay, like that. Okay, right. Yeah. Right. But if they're both playing, last night he pulled them both off the floor at the same time and then didn't re enter either one of them for like six minutes. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. How do you do, especially in a game of as, as big of importance as last night, how do you do that? 
And then, my God, um, I understand he has a fractured right thumb and a shooting hand, and yeah, nobody's going to be able to shoot as well as they were before when you have a fractured thumb on your shooting hand. But Kevin Love is just, he's not even playable right now. You can't even play him. He can't hit a shot. He's never been able to play defense, but now it's just, I mean, and again, the guy's like, what, 34 years old now? Like, I'm not expecting him to play defense, but if you're not hitting your shot, that's makes everything else more glaring. He shouldn't be on the court if he's not making shots. Right, and again, it's health-related, but he shouldn't be on the floor. Why are he's why just have him sit for two weeks, let the hand heal, and then bring him back? Kevin Love never had a problem with that from, like, 2019 to 2021. <sighs> When he was sitting out 50 games a season. Yeah, but this is like, uh, he's trying. This isn't like Kevin Love is like loafing around like he did in those couple years. Like he's actually, he's trying. It's so, it's so tough to watch him because you can tell he's getting towards the end. I mean, Kevin Love is not going to play very much longer. Maybe another year or so because he Mm -hmm. just, he, he can't, he can't move. But the thing that you always rely on with Kevin Love, especially in this reserve role where he's coming off the bench, is to be able to be a guy who can spot up and hit a three when the defense collapses on Darius or Donovan. Right. He He's not doing that right he's now. He's not doing that. And I'm blaming that a lot hurts. of that on the injury. You know, you don't just forget how to shoot. No. It's the injury. Yeah. He's, he's had to adjust his shooting motion to be able to get shots off with that thumb. But he just, he's just unplayable right now. I mean, he's shooting three. He's shooting threes at like twenty percent since the injury. You can't play him. And then Evan Mobley goes for thirty-eight against Milwaukee on Saturday. Probably plays the best game of his career. He had four points going into the fourth quarter last night. Sadly predictable. And again, also not his fault. He's not a guy that's going to create his own shot. He's a seven-footer. Hey, JB, how about you run a set where you give him the ball at the elbow and have him go to work, have him post somebody up, have him turn around jumper at at the elbow, something like that. No, I got to watch him for however many minutes he played last night just sitting in the corner in the three-point arc like he's freaking Shane Battier. This guy's a unicorn. He can do so much on the floor. And again, thank God that his non-involvement on offense is not affecting his his uh, defensive game because I, this guy's going to be a multi-time uh, defensive player of the year in the NBA. He is just an absolute monster on defense. But like, for God's sake, run a play for him, post him up on the block, and give him the and, and if and if they double him, you pass it out to the open man. But no, we're going to have probably our most naturally gifted player just stand in the corner on offense or stand out on the wing, seven footer. Just stand out on the wing. What is going on? If the Cavaliers were an NFL team, they would have a great offensive line and D-line, and they'd have great running backs, but they would have no receivers, and they would have no corners. seems like they just, they're just they getting pounded on the periphery on both ends of the floor. Yeah, Teams are just lighting up from the three-point line and they can't seem to hit shots on their side. And they're running an offense that is making them reliant on having to make three-pointers. They're not, like you say, they're just not putting themselves in easy opportunities. I mean, you mentioned it with Mobley, but it's true with other players too. You know, How often do you see them get the ball into advanced positions in the lane and on the block? It just doesn't seem to happen all that often. You know, it's, they're making life difficult on themselves. And it's it's really a shame, honestly. They got to get it together. They they really got to get it together. Otherwise, we might end up with a situation like we had last year where you got to go to that stupid play-in tournament just to even get into the playoffs. And if it comes down to that, you might be looking at someone like Boston or Milwaukee in round one of the playoffs, and it's going to be sayonara. Uh, so, the curtains, yeah. so that's, I mean, that's the battle they got to face right now. You know, are they going to be able to stay in this group you know, where Philadelphia is now two and a half games ahead of them, Milwaukee's two games ahead, Brooklyn is a game and a half ahead. They start falling down any further, you know, it's it's not going to look good for them. 
So no, uh, it's it's a difficult moment. Now look, like I said, we're not hitting the panic button. It's it's okay to be frustrated about what's going on with the Cavs. I, I'm certainly they're probably more, way more frustrated than we are because they're going through it. Um, but it's okay to be critical. You know, if we're gonna praise them for you know the start they had at the beginning of the season, I think it's fine to be able to be critical of this stuff. Now listen, it's January. I'm very glad that this stuff is happening in January and not the end of March. You know, hmm. they have enough time to get it turned around and get, you know, get it together. Hopefully they're able to make a move at the trade deadline and get somebody that can hit an open shot. I don't know how many times again last night we just flat out missed wide open threes. But ah, anyway, who that you said they have? Um. Oklahoma City and uh, Houston coming this up. This upcoming week is Oklahoma City and Houston away. It is the L.A. Clippers and Miami home. Mm. I will be at that Miami game. Okay. So. <clears throat> oh, yeah. So, Not an overly difficult week in terms of opposition. So, again, this ideally would be a week where the Cavs put it together and they, they do very well. I mean— Miami's 27 and 22, LA Clippers are 26 and 24, so those are not bad teams, but they are teams that the Cavs are playing at home. Again, this is this is set up pretty well the way they've played this year. They're playing really bad teams on the road and they're playing just kind of meh teams at home. You would they're expect still not, they're still not winning those games on the road. Right, well that's the thing. 9 and 15 on the road. 9 and 15 is not good. Not at all. I mean in the NBA the measure of a good team is you win you win uh, two out of three games at home and you're 500 on the road. Definitely hitting the first end of that formula, but not hitting the second. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think we're going to hit the, the – I mean, I don't – They have to go 12 and 6 on the well, – uh, yeah. I don't think so. They have to go so. 12 and 6 the rest of the season on the road to get that. So it doesn't seem likely. Good luck. Well, they fit 41 games, so 13 and 6 to finish above. No, you're right. To finish above. That's that's 12 and six. Yeah, you're right. Okay, my bad. Yeah. So, so um yeah. But uh well, anyway, that was the week that was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh Definitely the most frustrating review we've had this season. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, but hopefully they can they can get it together. Come on, baby, get it together. So, all right, well, uh, the Browns are sitting on their asses at home, but we did have football to talk about, namely the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and won't you know, we we are going to have a rematch of the AFC championship game. Literally the two same teams in the same stadium. Yep. You don't see that very often. No. You do not. And then on the NFC side... Actually, there's one of the teams is playing. Yeah, is playing, and they're on the road just like they were a year ago. The only same finalists. The only change is where they're playing the game. Yeah. Last year, the 49ers were playing at SoFi Stadium in LA. This time, they'll be at the Link in Philadelphia, facing the Eagles. So yeah, three of the four teams. It's almost redux of a year ago, which again is pretty, pretty rare. Honestly, at least. You know, it seemed like for a lot of years, you know, the AFC was a little more predictable. You'd always have, like, New England or Pittsburgh or Baltimore or some other team that I just yep. hate. But, yeah, y- you know. Well, now the last handful of years, we've had Kansas City basically there every year. Yeah. Um, this is their, what, fourth straight game, they've AFC title game they've hosted? That's insane. It was New England. They lost that one. They won the next year. And then last year they lost to, well, I'm trying to think about this. They, they actually won the AFC title game two years in a row. They won the Super Bowl, then they lost the Super Bowl the next mm-hmm. year. So this might actually be the fifth in a row? Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because they played New England at home two years in a row. Yes. In the AFC championship game. One, lost 1-1-1. One, one, one. Mm-hmm. And then who did they play the year at, the when they when they beat, when they lost to Tampa in the Super they Bowl? They played, was it Buffalo? Uh yeah, I think it was Buffalo. Yeah, I think you're right. And then last year was Cincinnati, and now it's Cincinnati again. Can you imagine that? Five straight years they have not only gone to the conference championship, but they've hosted. 
That's unreal. We've hosted one playoff game in the last 29 years. Yeah. 1994. You could just say zero in the last 28. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Well, anyway, what did you think of the games? I thought we'll start with the first one, which was uh, Jacksonville, Kansas City. I thought Jacksonville equipped themselves pretty well in that game. Jacksonville honestly could have won this now, game. Now, obviously, the big, the, big, the big asterisk with that game was the fact that uh, Patrick Mahomes hurt himself pretty early in that game and was pretty substantially hobbled. The that, that was game. not... Obviously, that was not helpful. That was not lucky for Kansas City. The fact that the I saw that and the way that his ankle bent in inward, I'm like, that's a high ankle sprain. He's he's out. He's done. You diagnosed it right away. I couldn't believe that he can't, especially when uh, they because he he originally stayed in. He's like, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. And then they're like, Andy Reid was like, uh, Yeah, you're coming out, and they're gonna take a look at that. And Chad Henney went in and played an entire drive. And of course, Chad Henney, we know all too well, Chad Henney. Uh, I'm pretty sure set the record for the longest touchdown drive in AFC Championship history. Oh, he might have. Well, no, oh, no. that's not that, true. That, at some point, there had to have been like a 98 or 99 yard. Yeah, uh, it happened against us. It's called. It was called the drive. Mm. 98 yards. I just, I just, I just remembered that. Yeah. Wow. But uh, yeah, it was like a 96 yard touchdown drive in the second quarter. And. Mahomes didn't come in the rest of the first half, and I'm like, he's not coming back in the game. I think Jacksonville might win this game. And really, this game was on a knife edge, and it was a three-point Kansas City lead, and, I mean, when Kansas City really needed a drive and Mahomes was hobbled, it, they still managed to put it together and get that touchdown. You know what it huge. reminded me of with, with Jacksonville? They reminded me, just in this game, not their whole like season arc or whatever, just in this game. Yeah. It reminded me so much of our game against Kansas City in 2020. Where very got similar hurt. game, very similar score. Yeah, Mahomes got hurt, and we just, you know, we just couldn't make the plays at the end of the game to get over the hump. And in truth, Jacksonville, when they went down 10, you would have thought, okay, six minutes left, that's probably going to do it. But they drove right back down the field right after that. Yeah. And honestly, if it hadn't been for the fact that wide receiver caught the ball and fumbled on the two-yard line, if that play doesn't happen... Who knows? No. If it goes to 27-24, then all of a sudden Kansas City has to come back and, and respond again, and who knows? I mean, if you get the ball back to Jacksonville at any point, and they've got time down three, just ask the Chargers yeah. you know, how that ended up for them. Now, granted, that was two because they missed a PAT or something in there. And which Oh, no, Jacksonville ended up going for two when they got a personal foul, which gave them the, the conversion at the one. So, I mean, Kansas City's not dumb enough to do something like that. but Yeah, I mean, you know. it came down to Jacksonville just couldn't make the plays at the end. I mean, they turned the ball over, I think, twice in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, that uh, was it. That was the whole ball game yeah. for me. They were, dri- they were driving. Uh, was it to t- try and tie the game, maybe? Um, in, the, in the case I was describing before, that was, to cut it, yeah, that was to cut it to three. They were yeah. down ten at the time. Yeah. I mean, you cannot turn the ball over in crunch time of games, especially no. in the red zone. I mean, that is just an yeah. absolute killer. Yeah. And you could see it all over Trevor Lawrence's reaction when uh, when they turned that ball over. Oh. He knew that. He's like, that was our chance. He's like, yeah. I can't say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Kansas City moves on. It's going to be interesting to see just how Mahomes is able to play. I mean, it's a high ankle sprain. Is how this, do you that's play not with just that? A regular, I, I don't know. High ankle sprain means he has ligament damage in that ankle, like like significant. I don't know how he's going to be able to – I mean, if he gets hit on that ankle once, he's out. He's done. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, even if even if they shoot him up with a cortisone shot or whatever they do to, like, numb him, like, I, I don't think that you're going to be able to do that. Like, I, I don't know. And and the, the, the line movement on that reflects it because the line opened at Cincinnati plus two and a half. They're now – I don't know what it is right this second, but they're now t- they were two and a half. That game swung five points. Five. They went. Wow. F- they went from two and a half point underdogs to two and a half point favorites. That is massive money. That is incredibly massive. money. Yeah. Then you know, with that injury and everybody saw that line at two and a half, you know people were throwing money down like crazy on the Bengals. So this means that when the Bengals win by one, 
Vegas is going to have their humongous payday. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Although Basically. maybe not because it means that all those people from before would have bet on the Kansas City line being, you know, two and one, so they actually would cash. So maybe for that to happen, Kansas City would have to win by a field goal. But be that as it may, um, as the weekend continued last week. So it's now gone. It's now reverted back a little bit. Cincinnati is a one-point favorite. Boy, boy, I'll tell you what. Virtually a pick em. If you think – listen, I know the Bengals have beaten the Chiefs three straight times, and I know Cincinnati went into KC last year and won the AFC Championship game. If you're if you're confident that Patrick Mahomes is going to be okay and he's going to play well, and you see that the Chiefs are a one point underdog at home with a chance to go to the Super Bowl, I don't know how you don't throw money on the Chiefs. Yeah, I would agree. I just I don't I don't trust Mahomes' health. Yeah, see, I I'm really there too. Don't. That's why I'm 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 gonna stay away from that. And game. I'm also not convinced that the Bengals wouldn't beat Kansas City anyway, the way that they're playing right now, quite frankly. They they absolutely demolished That's Buffalo. True. That's true. Uh in Buffalo, which is a humongous statement yeah. to make. And I was actually I mean, yeah, Joe Burrow played well again, but I was more impressed by their defense. Their defense held Buffalo to ten points and made Josh Allen look very ordinary. Yeah. I know Josh Allen has been kind of checkered when it comes to his performances in the postseason but you you got it's not all on him you got to give credit to that Bengal defense they were excellent on Sunday oh the Bengals I Luan I it, their defensive coordinator needs to be up for uh assistant coach of the year in the NFL Luana Rumo I mean if you look at the Bengals defense they don't have one single like superstar type player they're the literal epitome of playing as a unit I mean, if you just go, if you just look at their defensive roster, there's nobody on there that you're just like, man. That oh, yeah. Really that's good. a multi-time All-Pro. That's yeah. a guy that could go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, the closest you, guy you could think of is probably Trey Hendrickson, the guy that they signed last year from the Saints. But, I, yeah, I don't know. Is he a game wrecker? I don't think so. I mean, you compare that to a team like the 49ers where there could be like three, four of yeah. those guys. Yeah, you know, even the Eagles have you know one or two of those guys you could say that about. But yeah. like, yeah, it's the Bengals. Are, it just seems like everything is clicking for them at the right time. They they have been just on fire for a while now. Yeah, and you know, could they do it? I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, they again they play Kansas City, um, AFC Championship. They game. beat them That's, three straight times. So. You know they can. They've done it in the past. They beat it's them last year of... in the regular season. They beat them in the AFC Championship game, and then they beat them again this year in the regular season. Yeah. Joe Burrow is 3-0 and against Patrick Mahomes. So really, and, and they were discussing this on first take today, if the Bengals win this game, does the conversation within the NFL change from Patrick Mahomes being that guy to Joe Burrow being that guy? Oh, yeah. Or do they have to win the Super Bowl for that to happen? I think overall in the league, you probably need to win the Super Bowl. I think if you're just saying head-to-head matchup, I mean, I don't know how you don't say Joe Burrow. He's, he would be 4-0 against Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, if it was vis-a-vis, I mean, I'm talking like league-wide. Yeah. But, but, but yes. again, Patrick Mahomes is is widely regarded as the best quarterback in the league. So if Joe Burrow's beaten him four straight times, two of those times to win the conference championship, I you probably have to say Joe Burrow's one, at, at least on the same level as Mahomes. Absolutely. And one thing to point out here, everyone, Patrick Mahomes is 27. Joe Burrow is 26. They're in the prime of their careers. They're not going anywhere for a long time. Yeah. And lest you, you know, this doesn't scare you enough. On the other side of the bracket, Jalen Hurts is 24 and Brock Purdy is 23. So... These are, this might be the, the youngest quartet of starting quarterbacks we've ever had at this round of the, the postseason. Could be, yeah. Well, I mean, it has to be because Tom Brady was in every single championship game for the last 10 years, basically. And then the, <laughs> right. other, and then, and then the other guys, the other guys have been who? The other guys have been like Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Aaron Flacco, Rogers. Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Drew Brees. Drew Brees. Who else? Uh, who else? Um, Eli Manning was in a few of those. I mean... One one is when he was young, but 
Yeah. The second one, he was in his 30s. Uh, Peyton Manning, you know, I mean, yeah, so you're probably right. And for a while, amongst the younger quarterbacks, this, I mean, who'd you have? You had Russell Wilson, maybe? Um, yeah. Jared Goff? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. There's kind of few and far between for a while there, but, like, that old you generation got, has aged out. Right. And this now is- the new generation has come in, and has come in in a bigger way than perhaps we thought. I mean, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes getting here was something that a lot of people probably would have thought at the beginning of the season could happen. Yeah. Jalen Hurts, some people were high on him, some were not. You know, I, most people were not forecasting. Well, I don't think final four for Philly, even including my brother Mike, who drafted him in fantasy and was. Uh, riding the Hurts hype train. I don't know if anybody foresaw Jalen Hurts being this good. Yeah, I don't think anybody – I mean, people thought the Eagles would be good. They didn't think they'd be this good, be 14-3 yeah. and be the top seed and be hosting the NFC Championship game. San Francisco obviously is a weird case because you have – their first two quarterbacks are injured, so they're playing the third stringer. But, you know, that just is what come completes in, it, I guess. He's come in and he's played well. But, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember the last time all four quarterbacks in the championship game were under were under the age of 28. No. I I I don't know if that's ever happened, yeah. honestly. I mean, you'd have to go way back, but yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. I mean, speaking of Brock Purdy, who it's it's been well documented, I've been extremely high on this guy ever since he, you know, has been on this run. He for the first time honestly looked human in the last game against Dallas. You know, made some mistakes, got away with a key interception that would have really helped Dallas in the second half. Um, well, the big thing was San Francisco couldn't run the ball for the first, like, three quarters of the game. And that's that's huge. I mean, if if you're going to sit there and make Brock Purdy sling it around the field, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. But he played better in the fourth quarter because they were able to, they were able to run the ball. And then also because uh, the quarterback on the other side of the ball, boy, I don't know what I don't know what Dallas does moving forward. Yeah, say what you want about Brock Purdy. He was still a lot better than Dak Prescott. Oh, was. my God. <laughs> Dak Prescott threw two interceptions and threw a pick six that was dropped. Yeah, right. I mean, you're talking about defenders dropping dropping balls. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that one was just as egregious as the one that Purdy could have had picked. Boy, you know, they're, they're probably not going to have a chance, and they're going to have to run it back with Dak next year. But I, if I'm Dallas, I'm starting to – on the back end, starting to look at possible quarterbacks in the future because I just don't think you're going to be – and I just don't think that you're, you're going to be able to get where you want to go with Dak. Cooper Rush looked pretty good when he was playing when Jack was out. Uh, okay, you know, but, they've, they've got okay. a decent option that if they feel like they need But to you're not going to get where you need to go with Cooper Rush either. Probably not. I'm just saying it's, you know, it's not like you're screwed if – Prescott goes down or is playing bad. You you at least have another option that can at least keep you afloat, I guess. Yeah, okay. But is you going to win a Super Bowl? No. In the regular season for a few games, sure. But, I mean, literally, I mean, you and I, obviously, we had a dr- knockdown drag out about this last week. But the only reason why Brock Purdy's in the playoffs and is and is on the cusp of going to the Super Bowl is because he's playing with the best roster in football. He's got a great defense. He's got an offense that has great skill now, position that's, players. Now, that's not taking anything away from him. He's played very well. And he hasn't made the big mistakes that you see a lot of young quarterbacks and inexperienced quarterbacks make. He's done a very good job. So, but yeah, I mean, I, do we? I don't know if we need to spend too much more time on this game, um, other than what it is. And I know that the well, other. If we, if we transition to the NFC Championship game, is this is this the week that Brock Purdy has that reckoning, where it just goes awry? He's played well, really well up to this point. Regular season, first you know, playoff, first couple of playoff games were at home. Yeah. You know, supportive crowd and everything. Now he's got to go into the Hornets' nest. That is Lincoln Financial Field, maybe the most hostile stadium in the whole league in terms of, you know, say what you want about certain cities and their fans. I mean, when you go there, like you expect, if you're wearing an opposing team jersey, you expect to get a little bit of ribbing or nagging by the opposing fans. You go to Philly wearing the opposing team, there's a little bit of that, like, sort of darkness or fear kind of that, you know, something could happen yeah. to where you. Where does that come from? <laughs> I don't understand. Like, where where does that come from? People say, oh, Deserved or oh, not. People I, say, oh, it's East Coast. Like, that's a – New York doesn't do that. Boston doesn't really do that. No. 
at the Celt- at Celtics games, maybe not at Patriots games. No, but that's also because friggin' that stadium is an hour out of Boston. Right. But yeah, it's just a different environment in Philly. And to be fair, Philly looked really, really good on Saturday night. They absolutely flattened the Giants. That game was never competitive. Now you could say the Giants on paper might have been the worst team out of the teams that were left, but still, the Eagles turned back to the clock to where they were in the first half of the season. They clicked on all cylinders, and now the question is, is this the game where, we said the way to beat the 49ers is get them behind. Nobody's been able to do it. Yeah, Philly has the offense to be able to do it. They come out, execute in the first two quarters. San Fran's behind going into the second half. That's the recipe for San Fran to get beat. Yeah, San Fran has to be able to run the ball against Philly. They have to. Yep. They have to do a much better job of it than they did against Dallas. Yeah, because if they're if they're put back into obvious passing situations, that's when that's when Philly can start to to try and feast on Brock Purdy. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, the the other two uh, divisional games, we really don't need to spend very much time on the Eagles and the Giants. That wasn't even a game. No. The only thing I do want to say is uh, I I cashed my boost bet uh, in the first quarter. With uh, Jalen Hurts over one and a half touchdown passes, <laughs> he threw a touchdown pass on the first two drives. You love cashing bets inside the first quarter of oh, games, don't yeah. you? Yeah, it just relieves it. That's the no, best. No stress. Yeah, no stress. The rest of the game, you hit your no stress parlay in the first quarter. Yeah. So, uh, and then the uh, the other game uh, from Sunday, Cincinnati versus Buffalo. About, Cincinnati Buffalo. Um, boy. Bengals were pretty good. Buffalo Fugazi? No, I don't think so. No? I think Buffalo really had the goods, and Cincinnati just beat them up. You know, it's just so weird I'm pulling this 1A. I've been dragging, you know, dragging on the Bengals all year, but honestly... Here's what I will say about Buffalo. They are not a team built for the climate they play in. It wouldn't seem so. They are a dome team. They cannot run the football to save their lives. Unless it's a Josh Allen scramble, they can't run the ball. I was just going to say, unless the defense is in cover zero and, and Allen is rushing out. Yeah, I, they can't run the ball. And the way that they were playing defense against Cincinnati, I mean, it was open season on them with Joe Burrow. Um. So they they didn't do a good job in any phase of the game. They didn't defend the pass. They didn't defend the run. Yeah. They they just got and and not only that, it wasn't just the skill position players getting in on it. The Bills got absolutely manhandled in the trenches pretty much all day. Yeah. That might have been the the that honestly might have been the most impressive thing about that game for Cincinnati. The fact they had that three they three old linemen out. The fact that they could yeah, with some backup old linemen, they were able to dominate the line of scrimmage against Buffalo. You know, my my whole thinking up to this point was they wouldn't be able to measure up against teams like Kansas City, like Philly, and certainly not San Francisco Mm -hmm. in that regard in terms of physicality. Maybe I was barking up the wrong tree there, too, because Cincinnati looks like they are firing on all cylinders right now. I'm scared because I I think Cincinnati almost looks unstoppable at this point. That I have to disagree with because the two teams on the NFC side have just been phenomenal. I mean, could Cincinnati beat them? I wrote on Twitter the other day that he couldn't. I'm even starting to hedge a little bit on that, but I still see the NFC title game as the de facto Super Bowl. I, I have a hard time seeing either Kansas City or Cincy beating Philly or San Fran. Wow, really? I, I don't do, see I, it that way. I do. I actually almost see it the other way. Wow, really? Yeah. So you you must not have been impressed. Is it because Brock, of who the Eagles played on Saturday? I I don't know. Well, Brock Purdy's not beating Mahomes or Burrow in the Super Bowl. It's just not happening. So the only thing that would it, the Eagles would be the one. So I yeah I mean I don't know. So you don't just, put any stock in San Fran having the best defense. And that would usually, you know, oftentimes winning championships. I put I, I put stock in it. I just don't think Bro- I just don't think that Brock Purdy is going to be able to make enough plays uh, opposite 
Mahomes or Burrow. Because I do think if if Burrow can get if if Mahomes can get through Sunday, you have two weeks off before the Super Bowl. I do think he'll be able to get his ankle healthy enough to where it probably won't wouldn't bother him in the Super Bowl. And then, God, I really want to them to lose, but I I just. Joe Burrow's on one of those. They're they're on one. You know, even though they lost the Super Bowl last year, they are just on one of those magic carpet rides. Where I just I can't see it ending without a Super Bowl title. Especially if they get there for a second year in a row. I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're this generation's Buffalo Bills, where they get there two, three, four times in a row and never win. But I. I don't know, man. I... It's hard to win the Super Bowl if you don't objectively have either the best offense or the best defense. And I don't think you can say the Bengals have either one. Uh... I think San Francisco has the best defense. Quite frankly, I think Philly has the best offense, although you could make an argument for Kansas City also. I just I don't know. I just I disagree with that on the offense. The only thing the only thing with the offense of the Bengals is their O line being banged up. I mean where 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 do you see the Eagles having a better offense than the Bengals? Well, them being better up front was Okay. The main portion I, yeah. of it. Because in construct it's they do pretty, have a, they do have a much better offensive line, but but skill position I, players are or the Bengals. I do everywhere. think the Eagles run the ball better, a little bit, not much, but sure. I do think they run the ball. But I think they have just their stable of backs is a little bit better. But in terms of receivers, the Bengals are definitely right up there. In fact, the Bengals have even, the best. You might even give them the edge because the Bengals have the best receivers. Jamar Chase and AJ Brown are probably the two best receivers in the league, and also on the Bengals, you've got T. Higgins oh, no, and, no, and Tyler no, Boyd no, too. No, 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 no. AJ Brown's not the top two receiver in the NFL. Based on the season he's had this year, you don't think so? Justin Jefferson is way better than A.J. Brown. Come on, stop it. Take your green glasses off. That's not – A.J. Brown is great. See, I would have thought you would have argued for Tyreek Hill or somebody else. A.J. Brown is like bottom half of the top ten in receiver. Ooh, wow. Okay, so let's let's see here. So Justin Jefferson – Tyreek Hill, I'm assuming you're going to throw in front of him, Jamar too. Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase, okay. So you need at least two more. <sighs> All right. Let's, let's see. Let's who who else do we got? Uh, I got to think about this now. Oh, boy. Um, I'll try to help you out on this. See, the um, problem is, like, the problem is wide receiver is so interchangeable. Devontae Adams, perhaps? I mean, yeah, probably. The wide receiver is so interchangeable that, like, I mean – yeah, AJ Brown is up there. I'm just saying, there's at least there's at least a handful of guys that I would probably take over him. Okay. That's Titan, not, and again, Titan, Titans general manager lost his job because of that transaction. And again, by the way. that's not that's not that's not. Well, let's put it. Well, I don't think AJ Brown has as good of as nearly as good of a season with the Titans that he would have with the Eagles this year. I agree with you there. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I would put. I don't know if I. I definitely think Stefan Diggs is up there. Now, would I put him over? I, I don't know. He's probably in the same vein. Not based on this past weekend, you wouldn't. But, I mean, well, not everything pretty much went well, pretty much went poorly for Buffalo. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to go through divisions. I, we don't really. I, if, yeah, if, I'm just, if Cooper Cup's healthy, he's certainly over. Uh, yeah, Cooper Cup is somebody I would still put over. The, he, he was gone half the season this year, so it's easy probably, to forget about him. Probably before this year, I would, I would go DeAndre Hopkins, but I don't know if I would do that anymore. No. Um, DK Metcalf is right there. DK Metcalf is a very good player. I've had him two of the last three seasons in fantasy. He's been fantastic. Um, so yeah, if you were to put all those guys in front of AJ Brown, then yeah, you you'd say okay, he's in the back half of the top ten. But I think that's really harsh. Yeah, I well, I mean, like I said, you could say there's there's there are times where. Any of the top ten receivers in the NFL, you could say, "Oh, yeah, I could see that guy being like the top, the best, like two or three. I could see that." Mm-hmm. My receiver is so interchangeable, and again, also, a lot of it's dependent on quarterback play. Yeah, too. it depends on who's throwing you the ball. So again, like you look at the season Jalen Hurts had, 
that's a direct correlation to the season AJ Brown AJ Brown had. AJ Brown was a was a was a pretty good receiver in Tennessee. He was never like he was this year. No. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't. I, Titans had an offense where they were handing the ball off more than half the time. I can I can definitively say that he's not top two. That's Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, without a doubt. Justin Jefferson almost had two thousand yards receiving this year. That's with with Kirk Cousins throwing in the ball. Yeah, and which... he basically and he and he pretty much made like the greatest catch in in NFL history outside of Odell when he made that catch against Buffalo early in the season. Not that one play defines a receiver, but well, um, I mean, sort of can do that in this day and age in the social yeah. media generation. I mean, that's Odell true. Beckham's legend certainly took off a lot more because of that catch he had on Sunday Night Football. That's true. That's about the only thing he did in his career. <laughs> anyway, um. Okay, so the AFC and NFC championship matches are set. Who do we like in these games? Who's going to the Super Bowl? Let's start with uh, Kansas City and Cincinnati. I said before that I just didn't think the Chiefs had the look. I mean, I- I'm kind of sticking to it. Yeah. I-, I think Cincinnati's just playing too good at the moment, and Mahomes' injury kind of blunts it even more for me. So I'm going Bengals there. The other game, I've been sort of going back and forth on it, but the Eagles' offense looks so good on Saturday. I'm, it's like, I'm a it's little like bit googly-eyed. You're going, you're going heart over narrative because you've if, been thumping the Brock Purdy narrative. If like. Brock Purdy is going <laughs> to fail, I don't think it's all going to be on him. I do think it's going to be because Sam Fran has issues running the ball, and he's you know he's been so good, but he has not played a playoff game in an environment like he's going to see in Philly. So I'm I'm going with the Eagles. Okay. So you've got Bengals Eagles. Yes. In the Super Bowl. All right. So that's your pick. Your brother, um, your brother Mike has Kansas City and Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I think the AFC Championship game is going to come down to uh, Patrick Mahomes' ankle. If he he's not going to be 100%, we know that. If it's not a hindrance, I think Kansas City Oh gosh, man. See, this is another hard overhead choice cuz I know you don't want to take Cincinnati. I don't. Uh Whereas I don't seem to have the same antipathy for the Bengals like you do. Although most of the regular season might have seemed like it because I was hating on them. Oh, man. I Oh, boy. I think I might. I don't, and, and I don't want to do this for the sake of the podcast, but I think I'm going to agree with both of your picks. Okay. There's I nothing wrong gonna, with that. We've, I think it's going to be Bengals-Eagles. I think we've called what we've been opposite and on what, one game case, in the playoffs. And if that's the case, dun, 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 dun. Fly, Eagles, fly on the way to victory. Fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I wish I knew all the words to it. So that's what we're calling... For I don't Bowl. want that. Ugh. It's okay as long as they don't win. Ugh. I mean, would it suck seeing the Bengals win two straight ASC titles? Okay, fine. But at the end of the day... I just don't think this year, if they get to the Super Bowl, they're going to lose. I disagree with that because Philly, aside from a two-game stretch where they didn't have Jalen Hurts, has been the best team since day one. So yeah. I'm confident. But you got to throw all that out in the Super Bowl. We said the same thing about Kansas City when they lost to the Bucks in the Super Bowl. They got trounced by the Bucks. And that I know Tampa, that's Tom, that's that Tom Tampa Brady. Bay team had maybe one of the best postseason runs ever. Those last three games, they won at New Orleans and beat Drew Brees. Then they went to Green Bay and they beat Aaron Rodgers. And then they beat Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I don't know if we're going to see a wild card run to the Super Bowl championship like that, maybe ever again. 
Eagles fight. A touchdown, one, two, three. Hit them low, hit them high. Sorry, Eagles fly. Fly, Eagles fly. On the road to victory. E A G L E S, Eagles. Now, this is only if they play the Bengals. If it's Kansas City, you. It's Kansas I'm City. guessing you'd I'm not, be I'm not really, indifferent, probably. I am not really going to have a rooting interest, but I just I'll, I'll just want to see a great game, which I think it would be. But I think it will be if the if the Bengals. It's, I, just, I I think the Super Bowl will be great. Listen, if Philly makes it, it's going to be an electric matchup for sure. You if, and if, I have been trying to hex the Bengals all season long, to where now I'm just uh, we're so far into it now, and they just haven't lost. I'm just assuming that they're just not going to lose. So maybe now this is where they lose. Well, maybe because I'm actually going to pick them because I'm actually picking them. No, you know what would guarantee that they will lose is if I bet on them. So maybe I'll do that. Ooh, boy. Yeah, maybe I'll throw a little uh, little pizza money on uh, Bengals money line. Yeah. So bottom line, if you want, I, I don't know if you agree with this, but if you want a really good Super Bowl, you got to root for Philly because if you get San Fran. There's a chance that you could have a game that's much more tactical, much more defensive, not as watchable, perhaps. But if you like defense, I mean, why? Yeah, could, why? Means root for San Francisco. Why? Because Brock Purdy's not going to score a lot of points. That's your boy. Less less points than Philly. Oh, oh, interesting. But if he gets there, he's going to have to score more points than Philly in the game against them. Which is why I think they're not going to win. They're going to get beat this week. <laughs> but you're the Purdy man. I have been the Purdy man up to this point. I just <laughs> yeah, I, they're going Monday, up. They're going up against the best. By team. the way, by the way, Monday. Uh, what? Where were they? Monday night they were in. Well, I guess this. Oh, Monday night they're in Philly. So Paul, the first segment of Monday Night Raw, and uh, yeah, we're talking about this on the podcast, and none of you probably care. We're talking so <laughs> so they're Monday Night Raw, and, and Paul Heyman's out with the with Roman Reigns and the Bloodline, whatever, all of them. Barack. That's exactly what he did. They're in Philly, and he's he starts talking, you know, to get a cheap heel pop, and he starts talking about how the he's like he's like in your future NFC champions, Barack Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> and his, they didn't they didn't really catch it when he said Brock, but when he said Purdy, that yep, yeah, so. None of none. All of you that's listening right now are probably like screw this guy. I'm turning it off. We're at the end anyway. But yeah, that was funny. So, so we're both going with Bengals and Eagles. Hmm. Yes. I wanted to go against you. That way we could root for different teams. But I don't think we've been opposite more than one game this whole postseason. Yeah, probably it's not. Crazy. Probably not. And we've only been wrong on like two of the games. Yeah. It's interesting. The wild card games were really good, but I think. A lot of the outcomes were expected. It's just it. There were a yeah. lot of twists and turns to get there. Dallas for the Tampa. most part, the wild card or the divisional round, which is usually the best round of the NFL playoffs, they it sucked. Didn't live up to expectation. No, and I think that again is because you have that established three or four teams that are just so far above yeah. everyone else. Like you had the Eagles blew out the Giants. Yeah. Um, for the most part, the Bengals blew out the Bills. That was the swerve that we might not have seen coming. The fact that Buffalo got beat so badly. Uh, the um, yeah. Kansas City Jacksonville game was good. That was a good game. Yeah. And then the Dallas uh, San Francisco game was a pretty much snooze fest until the fourth quarter. But even those games, like, did you ever really get the true feeling that Kansas City or San Fran was actually going to get beat? Like, the games were not blowouts, no. but, like, you never really got the feeling, especially the Dallas game with Prescott turning it over like crazy. You just never really felt like yeah. Dallas really had it. Probably not. So, Well, uh, if you're listening still, uh, let us know on social media what you think. You can follow us on social media. At, at Stiffs McGee. At Daniel J. Ford. And hit us up uh, on the podcast social media handle, at the LOTL podcast. That's pretty much going to do it for us this week. Uh, we will be back to preview the Super Bowl next week. And uh, we'll also talk, hopefully, uh, hopefully a better week for the Cavs. And, uh, better, oh, better be. Oh, I did want to make this note. Uh, 
throw the guy in jail and lock and th- th- put the guy in jail and throw away the key for whoever stole Tito's scooter. Oh wow! Did you hear about that? No. Somebody stole Tito's scooter. They found it today on uh, like abandoned on Lakeside. Was this at Guards Fest over I the last so, weekend? Yeah. Oh my word! No. So I guess I guess the uh, I guess he was. Um, the story, as I understand it, is he was going to uh, leave. He he lives in an apartment in downtown Cleveland. He was going to scooter over to uh, Guards Fest. It was at the Huntington uh, Convention Convention Center. Center yep. And uh, his scooter just wasn't there. So I don't know wow. if he had, so I don't know if he ended up having an Uber to how big of Guards a, Fest. How big of a well now how about that? If you're a rideshare driver and yeah. you see Terry Francona getting into your car. Right. <laughs> What's up, Skip? Where's the scooter? Uh I don't know. Plus, big ups to him for scootering in the middle of January. Yeah, right. You know, not too many people would elect that mode of transportation in midwinter. Right. So but how big of a D-bag do you have to be to steal Terry Francona's property? Hashtag a-hole. Wow. So they found it. I don't know if they found yet who took it, but uh, put him in jail and throw away the key. Hopefully they're dusting that off for fingerprints or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to get that in before we leave. So uh, thanks for listening. As always, appreciate you guys. Uh, we will be back next week, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.